from the creators who brought you RuPaul's Drag Race and Million Dollar Listing. This is World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Hello and welcome to the Wow Report on Radio Andy. We'll be counting down the top 10 things this past week that made us go wow. I'm Fenner Bailey, co-founder of World of Wonder, here with Tom Campbell. Hello. Tom, it looks, it looks like we're in adjacent, identical backgrounds. It's crazy. These fake backgrounds are crazy, aren't they? <laughs> and, of course, we have James St. James, editor of the Wow Report. How do you do? And we're doing what we normally do on Friday. We are counting down the top 10 things this week that made us go, wow, wow. what an extraordinary... It's only really the second full week of 2021. We've got the second impeachment and it would be remiss of me not to say last night the premiere of the second season of RuPaul's Drag Race UK. So it's it's all it takes two. It's two two twos. Drag is all around. Everywhere you look around. It takes two. It takes three actually. Here we are. Let's go number 10, Tom. Number 10. You know, in a week with impeachment and so much stuff, we needed this pop culture topic to burst up because it gets the gays and the girls talking. And that is, they have announced that HBO, now, HBO Max has announced that they're doing, uh, as a short limited series, basically Sex in the City 3. There was the series, there was the first movie, which was a big hit. There's a second movie that got kind of panned, and now they're doing like a 10 episode. And the big, you know, the controversy a few years ago is that uh, Samantha, the actress whose name is... Kim Cattrall has said, I'm done with Sex in the City. I didn't like Sarah Jessica Parker. I never liked Sarah Jessica Parker. Sarah Jessica Parker has come back and said other things, but they are moving forward with Sex in the City without Kim Cattrall. What, that's, there's a lot to unpack here. We might have to dedicate the entire hour to Sex in the City, the new Sex in the City, because so much has changed, right? Like, 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 like they were all about excess and heels and cosmopolitan. So, do you can you keep the Sex in the City brand? What you expect you're going to get when you pop open the bottle of Sex in the City and have it match today's mores? So Good much question. of it was so problematic back in the day when you go back and rewatch the episodes. There's so many like weird things about bisexuality, and there are weird homo jokes. There's weird trans jokes. There's things that just don't hold up. There, there the fact that there were absolutely no people of color in the cast is also strange for a city that is 98% people of color. Um, I do think I made but a that list. Was then, that was then, and this is, you know, and he got a lot of a lot of kudos then. And now in, in today's light, it seems a little outdated, but what do you think will happen now? Well, what I heard someone online say a good idea would be to have every episode have a new actress play Samantha for all 10 episodes each episode and don't even acknowledge it just have a different actress i came up with 10 actresses i want okay. to read them to you um, yeah christine baranski of course is number one everyone says that she would be a great uh, samantha jane krakowski yeah. would be a great samantha i'm throwing out there courtney love i think courtney love would be fantastic i think amy sedaris might be really <laughs> fun I think Christina Applegate. Do you remember how much fun she was on Friends? Is the is the spoiled sister? And Reese yeah. Witherspoon was really good uh, as a spoiled sister too on Friends. I think they might be really fun. Alicia Silverstone 
is always good in everything she does. And True. Uh, Jennifer Coolidge. Genius. May I add just one more? Yeah. Roseanne. Bar? <laughs> You'd watch. You'd Maybe. watch. James, I think you single-handedly, if they listen to you, if Michael Patrick King and SJP, friends of, you know, of, of Andy, if they listen to you, you've just solved the problem. Thank you. Like, like what, what, everything else will just fade in the background as we, as we see who the new Samantha Jones is. Fenton, what do you, do you have any, are you, were you a fan of the old one? What do you have to say on this new talk? I, it didn't really do, do much for me, the old one, to be honest. I wasn't really a fan, but it did make me want Cosmos and drink Cosmos. So I want to know, like, what would the signature drink be of the new, what is the signature drink of now? You know, the way the Cosmos were then, what is it? Rubbing now? alcohol. Right, it would be um, it would be those awful canned um, alcohols, those those uh, white claws, white claws. Yeah. Um, I here's my thing, and I just want to. I think Sex in the City, the original series, gave me the tingles. I loved it. It was at a time very modern writing and very breakthrough writing. And I just think you know they had this problem. The second movie came out at the 2008 around right after the 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 economic uh, depression and, and fallback. And so they tried to like put it in, in a far away to make it okay. It's a tough one. Lawrence of my labia. You know, I love a good pun, so don't stop me. But um, we'll see. It, it's um, it's going to be diff. It's going to be very, you know, and also like not that women of a certain age are very sexy now. Jane Fonda is very sexy now. And she's, you know, 20, 30 years older than all of them. So it's, I'm going to watch every bit of it. I know what I'm saying. I might be hate watching. I might be crying. I might be doing both because that's who I am. Thank you. <laughs> well, I can't wait for that. Sex and the City. Um, we'll post more information as it becomes available because I'm sure it's going to be a developing story and people have lots to say about it. Number nine, James. Number nine. Number oh, nine. I watched this specifically for Tom because I wanted to talk about it with Tom. Uh, there's been a reboot of Name That Tune. I don't know if you've had a chance to watch it. No. Name That Tune, of course, is a famous game show that ran from 1953 to 1985. Are you you suggesting that I was watching it in 1953? I I am. I know. You watched every episode. It made a star out of a little-known Kathy Lee Jones, who was the La La Lady. Kathy Lee Johnson, Johnson, but I'll let you have it. Oh, Kathy Lee Johnson. I'm sorry. Kathy Lee Johnson. Yes, and then she went on to become the uh, Hee Haw Honey, and then she went on to host with Regis and Regis Philbin. Um, she, uh, the show itself is absolutely batshit insane. I don't understand how anyone can watch it. I am in awe of every single person who is on the show. What they do, there's one segment that always baffles me. And it's that I can name that tune in seven notes. And then the other person says, I can name it in six notes. And the other person says, I can name it in three notes. The other person says, I can name it in two notes. And they say, name that tune. And Randy Jones, Jane Krakowski is the hostess. She's absolutely fantastic. Randy Jones is the band leader. And Randy Jones then will play two notes. And it will be, dun, dun. And the guy will be like, why? That's the Star Wars theme. And like, 
But don't they give some clues before they do the... It's some vague clue that means absolutely nothing, but these people will hear one... They'll do, I can name it in one note. It'll be, boom! It'll be like, Rachmaninoff's Third Symphony! You know? Like, like you have... Like, it's just insane! And they have everything, like I said, from Beethoven to Snoop Dogg to Blink-182 to, you know, I mean, like Cole Porter. And, and these people know it. There was this one guy on the first episode named Chip who went all the way and won the million dollars. And Chip was, God bless him, this corn-fed uh, uh, at, uh, football player, high school football player, just as gorgeous as can be, cute as a button. He would watch it. He, he and his dad would go in their um, uh, their pickup truck and listen to music all day. And his father passed away, and he's doing this for his daddy. He's doing it for his daddy. And he said his daddy was an angel on his shoulder, and he oh. won every i mean no matter what they threw at him he would get it it was just it's absolutely amazing tom i would love to be in a room with you and rupaul watching to doing this because i can't do it but i imagine you could probably do it i think that i that is one of the shows i would do well on i haven't seen the new one yet my only concern is you know back in the day there was this less music and we had and we shared more of a uh, there was some differences, but we shared more of a, a, a catalog of, of popular hits. And now, wow, is that a what? You know, we can't I all. Know, that's what I'm saying. That's what really breaks it wide open because there is they they go from you know Death Cab to Cutie to I mean like to uh, they they just to jazz to Broadway whatever. Yes. Do they play the actual record, or is the band playing the notes? And well, that's impossible because yeah. The, the tone of the actual record that gives it away, isn't it? Like- exactly. So that that makes it harder because the band is not that good, frankly. And well, um, the you, ghost. You said the, band, uh, you said the band lead as Randy Jones. What Randy Jones of the Village People? No, 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 oh, no, Randy, Randy. That's exactly what I thought. I'm no, sorry. No, no, Randy from um, American Idol. What's his name? Randy Jackson. Randy uh, Jackson. I am I'm two Randy for two. I'm, I'm so bad. Randy Jackson and Kathy Lee Johnson. You, you, but it's you, not you, even you Randy Jackson. It's, it's, not even, it's not even Randy Jackson. It's the desiccated corpse of Randy Jackson that they dug up because he looks like he's on death's door. He really looks like a zombie. He's I swear to God, I don't I don't think he has six more months left in him. I don't I, I I'm just I'm just putting that out there. He looks terrible. He lost a lot of weight. Put it back on because he looks, it's the Al Roker thing. He looks terrible. I love that you're anti-thinness. I love that you're anti-thin, James. That's what I like about you. Yes. Fat, no, no, no fat shaming here. Okay, you can watch Name That Tune on Wednesdays, 8 p.m. on Fox. All right, number eight. Number eight. The Dissident. This is an Oscar contender for documentary, best documentary. Jamal Khashoggi, remember? He was the Washington Post journalist who was summarily hacked to death inside the Saudi uh, consulate, I believe it was, in Istanbul. Is that all right? I think that's right. A couple of years ago. This is the documentary made by, directed by Brian Fogel, who directed The Icarus, which won the best documentary. That was a documentary about the uh, doping in the Olympics by the Soviets. This is 
well, number one, it's a profoundly depressing experience because you just cannot believe that someone would walk into their consulate to get a marriage certificate and where basically would never come out. But it is fascinating in that it exposes, really tells the story behind what happened. And what really did happen was that there is this thing called Pegasus. And Pegasus is an Israeli-developed thing that they can put on your phone that turns your phone into a spy in your pocket. It takes all your photos, all your WhatsApp, all your messages, all your stuff, and just sends it to whoever's managed to put Pegasus on your phone. And Pegasus is, um, they just send a text and you think it's junk text and you click on it by mistake and that's it. Your phone is an open book to whoever sends it. And it's a fascinating piece of spyware. It's, you might realize it was also used by Mohammed bin Salman, the prince of Saudi Arabia, against Jeff Bezos. You know when Jeff Bezos was exposed with his mistress? Are you still there? Yes, yes, yes. No, keep going. Yeah, yeah. Are you still with me? What? Yeah, yeah, of course. We're not even... When Jeff, you are not there. I've never seen you sit so still in all your life, James. You're like no, a statue. I'm, I'm, I'm absorbed. I'm completely having a good Riveted is the word, Ben. Riveted. Yes, keep going. Jeff Bezos of Amazon was exposed recently as having an affair. That all came because Salman bin Rush, uh, Salman bin Rushdie, Mohammed bin Salman put Pegasus on Jeff Bezos' phone. This is a very big really scary deal. And what what they did is in, in, in putting Pegasus on this guy's phone who was working with Khashoggi, they found out that Khashoggi was behind an attempt to destabilize Saudi Arabia and to launch a proactive counter media campaign to the enormous Twitter troll army that uh, the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia has arranged. So it's a fascinating story of media, sort of the new media wars, really. But with this terrible, horrific tragedy at the center of it. Well, um, but has anything been resolved? Are they? Are, is anyone ever going to be prosecuted for this? Is well, anyone ever going to face justice for what they did to Jamal? Uh, you know, Saudi Arabia maintained because it was in their consulate, it was their business. Uh, they have put on trial some people. But since this was a mission authorized from the highest leadership, it, 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 let's call it a show trial, essentially. And so in, in a long, no, really, basically, ask your question, James, is no. And But, but is, it, is it no because it was Trump's America? Or do you think that Biden has a, has a chance to, to get Absolutely, done? without question, it was because of Trump's America. As we know, Trump said, oh, it was rogue operatives, you know, uh, is, uh, you know, the, the friendship between Jared Kushner and, and MBS, the crown prince of Saudi Arabia. I mean, look, this is a really, it all sounds like sort of remote political shenanigans, but I think it's a very immediate, immediate concern because this is a film that really should be on one of the big streaming platforms like Netflix or Amazon or, and why do you think that it isn't? It isn't because they've all turned it down because they're frightened of losing subscribers because they're frightened of Saudi Arabia. So it, you know, the, the chilling effect is here. And um, I totally agree with that just in general, you know, as, as, as things are turning around, we have a new president and there's lots to be hopeful about. We live in the most corporatized, 
monopoly-driven economy and all these places that are supposedly free and open-minded and, and breaking new boundaries creatively are the phone company, you know, are these huge businesses that just want more and more and more. So, yeah, you know, one thing at a time, but that is, uh, that's, I, I guess I have to watch this now. It sounds frightening, but it sounds really important. It's extraordinarily well-made and really, really interesting. Um, so that's available. You can get that on demand, you know, on the, on the sort of pay-per-view sort of things. Um, what else have I got to say? Let's take a break. Uh, Blake, do you have a question for I do have a question. Um, why do we call this month, the first month of our calendar year, January? And no, it's not because of January Jones, Queen. <laughs> we'll have the answer for you right after the break. You're listening to The Wow Report on Radio Andy. You're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. And welcome back to the Wow Report. I'm Fenton here with Tom Campbell, James St. James, and Blake. Blake, before you give us the answer to the question, I just want to say that we have a brand new podcast launching this Tuesday with Crystal uh, from RuPaul's Drag Race UK Season 1, and it's called Things That Made Me Queer. And it's like a sort of desert island discs where you go on and you talk about the seminal things that made you who you are, which is not, of course, to dispute the idea that you're born gay, but it's those cultural influences that those sort of temple things. Tom, you went like that. You said seminal. <laughs> well, I had a question. Why, why do we call this month the first month of our calendar year, January? I'm thinking in Spanish, it's enero. I don't know if that helps. Um, I, I'm stumped. I don't know. Because of Jan Brady, I guess. I think it's something to do with a, a Roman emperor, Janus or something. Oh, good, well, good, that's good. right. It, it was January was named after the Roman god, Janus, who ruled over beginning and transitions. But this says he's a little bit two-faced, literally. He's often depicted as having two faces, one that looks forward and one that looks to the past. Well, the Janus is the famous um, of the laughing and, and crying um, symbols of the theater. Okay. Remember? Yeah. I'm smarter. Thank you, Blake. I feel smarter. I'm glad I listened to the Wow Report today. You're welcome. I'm craving an anus joke, but I um, guess I'm not going to get Seminole. one. Seminole. All right, we're getting down the top 10 things that made us go, wow, we've reached number seven. Number seven. One of the kind of sleeper hot hits on Netflix right now, which I watched all of, a six uh, parts uh, miniseries, is Pretend It's a City. And it is conversations, Martin Scorsese directs, and it's basically conversations with him and Fran Lebowitz. And Fran Lebowitz also being interviewed. I think Fran Lebowitz, who identifies herself as someone who used to be a writer, you know, she wrote, she has a fascinating story. She's an incredible lesbian. James is going to interrupt me in a minute, but I want you to, but let me just get out the, the top line, which is, it's her, you know, she's very curmudgeon. She's very New York. She's like Seinfeld before Seinfeld, you know, that, that Larry David kind of take. She's great. I, I always say that she's a Woody Allen without the creepiness. I like that. All those things. And she's born in 1950. So she's what? I mean, she's 70 now. She really is this incredible 
her references are is the late 20th century and now she's very us even though she's a little older than us and and at first i thought oh is she just gonna i haven't seen her in a long time and i didn't really know her origin i looked it up but it's like i remember her being on tv and stuff but like I thought, is she just going to be negative? Because I don't just need negative right now. And she's so smart and has a way of criticizing everyone, everything without her. You can do that. You can do that. This is what I think. And she's such a funny little character that she gets away with it. Um, but she really has stopped writing. And, and for the past 30 years, made her, her money, you know, doing stuff. Now, James, I want to hear from you because I see it. Okay. I have a very difficult relationship with Fran because, God bless her, she is a New York institution. She is one of the funniest people alive. I recently went back and read Metropolitan Life, one of her first books in the 1970s. She wrote two books in the 1970s. Uh, and which, then, were really, which were really a series of essays that she had written for magazines, right? Interview magazine, yes. Yeah. And so she compiled her interviews and put them into a book. So she didn't really write a book as much as compose a thing. She got two yeah. book deals. Then she got another book deal in like 1979 to write a novel. And for 40 plus years, she has been working on the damn novel with the worst case of writer's block. How you can call your Yourself a writer and be working on a book for 40 years is something that I understand. Yes. <laughs> but at one point, I they, they said you have to put out something, you have to put out something, or you aren't going to get any more money. And in a couple about 15 years ago, she put out a children's book about mm-hmm. pandas. One was called Pandemonium, and the other was called Panda to the Masses. And it was the stupidest goddamn thing you've ever read in your whole life. It was atrocious. And yet, she gets paid to give interviews. Like, who can, for 40 years, survive on paid interviews? It's amazing that she can do this. God bless her. But I'd love that gig someday. I would love to move into that category. But how dare she really? And who did, what if she had two books 45 years ago and she's still famous and she's still worthy of a Netflix show? Three things. One, I think being a writer, writer's block is is the fundamental experience of being a writer. So I think she's right on point about it. Turning the experience of writer's block into a life performance, number one. Number two, I have interviewed Granny Brits maybe two or three times for documentaries. And she is so brilliant. And she terrifies me. And yes, we paid her. And every time I'm thinking, God, she's so good. If only we didn't have to make this film or whatever it is, and we could just do her. And I goes, what a brilliant idea just to do her. What point is your expiration date? At what point do you become, why are you still relevant when you haven't done anything for 45 years except sit on your, 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 your took her some pontificate? It, it, I think it, she can pontificate as long as she likes. She's like Oscar Wilde. She has aphorisms and epigrams for days. She Oscar says, Wilde put out a, a prodigious amount of product. I just don't understand how a couple co- columns in interview in 1973 gets you Martin Scorsese giving you a Netflix show. I love it. I want it. But how it's maddening. Two things, two footnotes to make you feel happy, James. One, in the 70s, she was friends with Maplethorpe. He gave her a lot of photographs. She threw them out in the 70s. Second, 
She sold her Warhols two days before he was shot and killed. Or, or before he died. I, I really don't understand how she has the money to live like she does, though. I Because I, it doesn't sound like she came from money. I just don't understand where this huge apartment well, Find out her position on money and more. Tune into Pretend It's a City on Netflix. All about Fran Leibowitz. A six, uh, six half-hour miniseries on Netflix. And I watched it, and I loved it, and I, I think she's absolutely fantastic. I just I, I have problems. I just do. You did watch I, it. I did watch it, of course, okay. yeah. Okay, good. All right, James, your turn. Number six. Number six. Um, Mr. Mayor on NBC. Uh, it's a new TV series. It's a new sitcom by Tina Fey. She she wrote and produced it. Um, it was supposed to be a takeoff of Thirty Rock. It was supposed to be a spinoff in which Jack Donaghy, the Alex Alec Baldwin character, became mayor. And instead, they put it now in in Los Angeles. And Ted Danson is the mayor. And I guess after four years of playing Trump, he didn't want to be doing that type of character, a bumbling billionaire character again ted danson is a bumbling billionaire who sort of bumbles into becoming the the mayor and doesn't really know what he's doing um it's funny because it's that rat tat 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 tina fey humor that is just so sly and witty and comes at you every 30 seconds and it's just toss off line after toss off line after toss off line um holly hunter is in it she's absolutely fantastic bobby moynihan it's got a really great cast i don't like ted danson even though i know he's um uh uh royalty i mean sitcom royalty he's been in a million everything he does is gold but i will never forgive him for that friar's roast in which he went in blackface, if you'll recall. He was in blackface the entire time. He spewed the N-word two dozen times and ate watermelon on stage as he was delivering his jokes. He was in love with and in a relationship with Whoopi Goldberg. And Whoopi Goldberg is the one who told, who told him to do it. And everybody at the Friars Club, Friars Club is famously Anything Goes, it's the darker your humor, the better, you know, like there is no, there are no limits, but he walked down the street in blackface. He appeared afterwards. He posed for, for, for pictures. I just, I, even if it was a closed door session, I just, I, I, I always feel that there was something inherently wrong with it. And he is always, he and Whoopi Goldberg have always stood up for it. And I've just always thought that it was weird. And I just can't get over it. Never cross James St. James. That's what I'm hearing. And I fear I may have already crossed James St. James. And someday names can come up and it's going to be like Tom Campbell. No, RuPaul was in the audience that day at the Friars Club. And I would love to get Ru's take on that because they said that most people in the audience were very uncomfortable with what they saw. Even Phyllis Diller thought that it crossed a line. All right. Now I'm with you. Once you get the name of Phyllis Diller, I know... I know we've hit the the place of truth. And I don't mean to be a curmudgeon. I'm just saying that sometimes that, that these things like, you know, you could do something and then uh, people just sort of like forget about it. And I'm, I don't forget. I, I never forget. James, you never forget. Watch Mr. Matt Thursdays, 8 PM NBC. I was here. Apple Peacock. Uh, number five. Number five. Here's someone for you to hate James. 
Uh, you can add to brand new versions. You know what I do to- on the show. I do more than that. I'm not just a hater. I swear to God. I know you're 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 a lover. I know. I try and be the lightning rod here. I try and keep it from being a, just a love fest. <laughs> you do a great job of that. And I love your opinions, James. I love everyone of your opinions. You know, it's been like uh, 10 days since this is number five. Who is Jaden X? Do you know who Jaden X is? I watched the videos that you sent me, yes. Right. 10 days ago, we had the storming of the Capitol. I mean, you know, now the president is being impeached for inciting that. Um, But there is this 40-minute video on YouTube that I really recommend everybody should watch. It begins outside the Capitol with everybody massing. Um, it's just under 40 minutes long. It's 38 minutes. I actually think it should be put in for the Oscar Best Documentary short. He keeps the camera running. This kid, Jaden X, keeps the camera running all the way through. Then it's, it is crazy making. I mean, it, it's, it's just one of those things that is captured all in one shot. What was that movie? Was it 1917? The, the, the Hollywood war movie that was all in one shot. It's like that, but on a budget. Uh, and you see all different kinds of moods and moments, although inevitably it leads to this very tragic moment when um, a shield Babbitt was shot trying to climb through a window. The cameraman, it's so interesting because he's not a remote bystander or an observer. He says he's there just to document. That is a lie. He he's, is, part of the mob. he's part of the mob. He's saying, burn this shit down. He's he's whooping and hollering. He told the girl, he said, get, you know, go encourage her to go through the window. And then when she is shot, what should be a, a tragic and sobering moment is just so grotesque because everybody just gathers around with their iPhones to capture it. And he's saying, I can't believe I just saw someone killed. And it's so it's it's a profoundly shaking piece of film. After, right after it, he went on CNN posing, saying he was a left-wing activist that had documented. Complete lie. Did an interview with Anderson Cooper. We'll post the link. He also, um, his name is John Sullivan, and he's a part-time Uber driver. I don't know if he is anymore. I, I think that's unlikely. But he starred in an ad for Uber, um, claiming that he was a world, <laughs> world-class speed skater. And so it's him driving Uber, so he has more time to do his speed skating. It is, it is a crazy thing. His brother, James, turns out to be uh, an anti-BLM um, activist, part of the Proud Boys. And the kicker is, both him and his brother, they're not white. They're black. So the whole thing is this sort of mad mixture. Um, what did you guys think of the tape? I, I actually watched another tape where he was trying to explain... Uh, his actions afterwards it was he did it the day afterwards and he was trying to weasel his way out of any sort of culpability and um the idea that you know these people are becoming sort of folk heroes to the right uh where you have the guy with the horns and everything and all the gays are lusting over him and Madison Cawthorn you know the senate the 25 year old a uh, guy in the wheelchair who would just is the youngest guy in the Congress and all these people who like you see people like re- revising history after the fact and it's, it's disturbing and upsetting. And I'm, I, I still don't know where to land on, on all of it. I agree with you that I, just the whole, I, I'm still processing the horror that happened 
in that hall. I think that this particular piece of film is some of the most, uh, like the full feature length kind of thing, but it's also, um, it also, uh, it, 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 there's so many images from that day that are coming up more and more that are horrifying and the death and the, the bashing of the police officer, which is off topic, but the whole thing is, is a nightmare. And I'm glad that, uh, that the FBI is taking steps to, the extraordinary people. thing is, like, I guess he never thought that posting it to YouTube would would reveal th- his lies. And well, it's, it's it's like the guy who had wore his lanyard, his work lanyard, to 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 the protest so that he could easily be identified. I mean, these people really thought that what they were doing was they were so right that there would be no consequences for it. And that's that's where we are as a country where. Well, and, and I believe so far he hasn't been arrested or charged with anything, which which strikes. I mean, he was detained by police, but he was let go. And I mean, in my mind, there's no question that he should be charged, um, arrested and charged. Can I just say that I went on the Women's March uh, in in 2017 when the on inauguration day. And that was like, yes, exactly. In, in D.C., it was wildly overcrowded. It wasn't very well organized. It was kind of frightening at moments just because um, just because uh, of the space. But everyone was in such a beautiful mood. We were protesting, but there was a togetherness. People smiled at each other. People were kind. There were children and mothers and fathers and such a different takeaway than what happened Absolutely, and that's what what makes my blood literally boil, is that one of Trump's sons, because I can never tell one from the other, because they're both equally douchey, tweeted out as it was happening, don't do this, don't be like the other side. But the other side, which is us, the lefties, the liberals, yes, we just marched in pink pussy hats. There wasn't like, we didn't storm the Capitol. Some of the, the writing, the writing this summer, but that's different too, because that's about social injustice and and that's a fraction of the people. This was a group of people that went organized to just desecrate, to wipe to wipe their feces on the wall of our capital. It's but just- you know, I, I do have to say something though that I I am uh, intrinsically afraid of crowds. I don't like crowds anymore. I because mobs have a way of turning on a dime no matter what. And when emotions are high and you have a lot of people in one place, things happen and everybody it becomes a herd mentality and it's it's terrifying to me. So absolutely, but I just want to go on record as we know as we're getting all this information back that the uh the 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 domestic terrorist attack on the Capitol was planned ahead of time. Yes. They were armed. It was planned. It wasn't like in the heat of the moment, things went from peaceful to crazy. They went there to do a lot more harm than they got away with. They went there to hang Mike Pence. To, you know, they, they had inside. It's just, it's it's a nightmare which is, is continuing to unfold. Anyway, don't get me started. All right. Well, let's take a quick break. Do you have a question for us, Blake? I do, I do. Which 1980s electronic band were named after a French fashion magazine all righty well have you asked that easy question after the break oh by the way i just let, let you know before i let you go on friday every friday on our socials we drop codes that you can go buy stuff at, at the world of wonder store and um like for example this friday we are dropping the frog destroyers breakup bye-bye limited edition collector's edition in pink vinyl 
And if you spend $25 at the WOW shop, you get a free calendar of the entire season cast of Drag Race UK. James, you sound excited about something. Yeah, it sounds fabulous. Yes. Free calendar. I know. 12 months of pleasure and joy. All right. We'll be right back after the break. You're listening to World of Wonders WOW Report. Things that make us go wow. All right, welcome back to the Wow Report. I'm Fenton here with James and Tom and Blake. Um, Blake, you had a question for us. I do. Which 1980s electronic band were named after a French fashion magazine? Fenton, take it away. I know you know. I think I could be wrong now. I'm overthinking it, but I think it's Depeche Mode. Yes. Ah. The name means hurried fashion or fashion dispatch. Fashion dispatch. That's it. We've reached number four. Number four. I want to talk about something that's very fashionable that got very political this week. And I'm talking about the cover of Vogue. Kamala Harris, our vice president-elect, Anna Wintour and the Vogue people put her on the cover, which is amazing. But there, and, and that's been talked about a lot, and we will get into it. And there's also been a digital cover. So one's the newsstand cover, one's the digital. And the newsstand, she's wearing her sort of her signature look, a very dark suit, black or dark blue. She's got her on her Converse sneakers, which is the best part of all. And she's kind of wearing a T-shirt underneath. She looks like she looks every day. She looks fantastic. And she's against kind of a, a, a background of, of pink and green cloth and, and people. I was just so excited. I posted trade chic. I just, I thought in this age of um, COVID and I'm sitting here in my underwear, which hopefully none one will see, you know, we're, we're just living casually. And the fact that our vice president looks like that and that, and I'm also speaking of sex in the city, which kind of sex in the city was a thing that really pushed heels on women. Like you have to wear heels, heels that hurt your feet all the time. And here's Kamala Harris saying, I'm wearing sneakers and I'm getting more, I'm getting shit done. Um, and then the other cover had her in a, in a more of a pristine light blue suit. It was cropped and it looked a little, you know, a little fancier. I had trouble with neither of them. I, the only good thing I can take away from this is that people seem to care a lot. Like people are very, are very protective of Kamala. What do you guys think about the covers on Vogue? Well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> I thought I fall into the it was disrespectful category. I think that this was a moment for her to really show her in as as a regal queen, the person that she, you know, she is the first, you know, African-American the, uh, woman, the first East Indian woman. I think that she is someone who, uh, it, it, sh- it looked like she was jogging and she wandered onto the Bridgerton set with that, with the, with the, with the pink and the green swaths of cloth. It looks like somebody just snapped a picture, a Polaroid picture of her and plopped it on. I really think they could have done a good job. They've done good jobs with Michelle, with Michelle Obama, with, you know, uh, other people, with other first ladies. Yeah. They, and I, I really feel like, um, she, Anna Wintour sometimes just, it looks like she just dropped the ball on this one. I really think they could have given her a little more. Interestingly, though, James, the cover was shot by the same photographer who did the Harry Styles Gucci cover. And I thought that had a similar sort of just, we're just taking snap pictures. I like yes, the sort of it's just talk away. away. Yes. I, like I don't that. know if that's the new style, but I don't think I agree with it. I had this one reaction that went to my head when I started reading the, the, the people complaining. It's just, fuck fashion. 
Like, and I know that's like, I'm like Anne Hathaway in the blue sweater, but no, but just like, fuck the, the but I, we were just, everything's blowing up and we're, we're, we're looking at everything differently. And again, fashion's great. I love drag race. I love fashion being fun. I don't like it being uh, incredibly expensive and different from and separating us. And when you see pictures, last point, there was just somebody like Chris Appleton or something who does, you know, everybody's hair, like J-Lo. He had a picture of Kim Kardashian, which I know is a large thing, but done all up and her hair is up and she's paying, like that people have become robots. And it's like, I I completely agree with that. And you know, I've been anti-fashion for a couple months now and I don't want her in a a Dior gown with, with, with also sitting on a throne or anything like that. I just thought that that the style of the picture was, I don't care what she was wearing. What she was wearing was absolutely fine. It was, it was just the sort of throwaway aspect that we didn't really put that much in thought into the picture. Almost the quality of the photography was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, that's it's funny because I that yeah I found the composition more interesting and significant than the fact that she was wearing sneakers. Yeah, it was I, like, I want her to wear sneakers. I think that's absolutely fantastic and is perfect for the time. I just don't like the the way. I think they should have given her a little more um, uh, uh, oomph. Again, well, I think the good news is that everybody weighed in. Everybody I think was trying to had a ownership and how Kamala should Kamala should come across, and so that's the good news that we everyone was being kind of protective of her. And I, this will not be her first fashion cover, I, I suspect. No, I think she'll have more fashion covers than uh, Melania Trump did, for example. <laughs> All right, let's go. You know, actually, I just have to say one thing. I love one thing I really love about her is that when she gets off planes, she runs down the stairs. She yes, I just love that. Instead of like just ambling along, she's in a hurry. She's got to get there. I just love that. I like, love her. Yes. All right, let's go on to number three, James. Number three. Number three. I got a series of books um, uh, from Simon and Schuster this week um, from a young genderqueer author named um, Jason June, and he's written a series of books. And each is for different stages of a gay child's life. The first one is a picture book for a very young child called Porcupine Cupid. And it's about a porcupine on Valentine's Day. And he goes around sticking people with quills, sort of like Cupid. And they all get mad at him and they go to have a meeting about him. And at the meeting, everybody who's been stuck with a Cupid finds a significant other and falls in love. And the, the, the two bears are two boy bears that fall in love. The cats are two, there's bobcats and the two female cats end up falling in love and walking off together. The raccoons are male and female. It's never once mentioned that this is, you know, that there's anything gay going on. It's just, it's these animals end up pairing off together and finding true love because of the porcupine. And it's, Sort of, if you have a child, I guess the theory is if you have a child that you might suspect or not, or if you just want to introduce a child to, you know, this idea that anybody can be with anybody, it's very nice. He then did another book called um, uh, Myrmicorn Island. And this is for kids six to 12. And it's about a, a half mermaid, half unicorn who lives at the bottom of the sea and he's waiting to get his sparkle powers. And 
Um, it, it, his his father can make bubbles, castles out of bubbles, and his mother can make um, you know streets out of sparkles. And he every every unicorn gets a different sparkle power, and he's waiting to see what his is. And it's again, there's nothing overtly gay about it. But if you are a child who likes unicorns and likes sparkles and likes mermaids, and you're a boy, then this is something for you. And it sort of just, it it's one of those, it's a feel-good, queer-themed book. Then the last thing he did was a young adult novel called Jay's Gay Agenda. And this is for 13 years and up. And um, it's about a, a young gay boy who is the only gay boy in his town. And then he moves to Seattle and goes to an LGBTQ art school in which he finally finds his tribe. And there's all sorts of love and, and, and things that ensues. But he's so he's written it for every age of a, of a young child's life in which they might need a book like this to sort of be there for them and give them comfort and guidance. And I think it's really um, I think I think it's, it's great. There have been a lot of, you know, um, gay inclusive books, starting with Heather and her two mommies back in 1989. I don't know if you remember that. And um, uh, and Tango makes three. Remember about the gay penguins that came out um, in 2005. I am Jazz. Jazz Jennings wrote her autobiography for kids. And The Prince in the Night. I don't know if you remember that one, Fenton, in which it's a fairy tale about a prince who's supposed to marry a princess. And then he falls in love with a knight instead. And they end up running off together. So there, there's a lot of really great LGBTQ children's books out there. Yes, Tom. I love it. I think everybody should read them. I, you know, yes. we, you know, everyone should read them. And and uh, Fran Leibowitz, a dear friend of James, she one of the things she talked about was with Toni Morrison in this special that we talked about earlier was our books supposed to take you away, which is how kind of Fran, you know, for her it was like the minute I could read, my house became huge, my world became huge, I could go anywhere. And she says now everybody wants to see themselves, and that was Toni Morrison, who's a great writer. Like you know, where am I in this story? Where's the representation? But yeah. I think. It's great for queer kids to have representation. It's great for straight kids to know that these possibilities exist. I'm so frustrated by peers of mine. You know, people are like, well, don't you know? Don't tell them you're gay yet, or it's a little too it's too too difficult to explain. Maybe when they're older, it's like, what are you talking about? Well, I, you know, yes. I mean, a lot of um, Anderson Cooper today or the other day gave an interview in which he said he knew when he was seven years old. I knew when the first time I saw Elvis Presley when I was like three years old. I was like, that is someone that I I, I want to be with. I was in love I, with Jethro from the Beverly Hillbillies. And you know, from a very young age that you're. Different. I always felt like from kindergarten on when I had a peer group and I was like learning how to fit in. That's when I kind of toned it down. Before that, two, three, and four, I was like, woo, I'm alive. You know, Calgon, take me away. I was all just like the queerest kid on earth. You know, yes, no I, it is, it's nice to have representation in literature for young kids. So I, God bless Jason June, I guess. And the books are available online on Amazon. All right. So moving on, number two. Number two. I watched a series on Netflix, Rum 2806. It's interesting. It came out on Christmas Day. Haven't read or heard anything about it. It tells the story of, um, do you remember Dominic Strauss-Kahn, who was the head of the International Monetary Fund? 
This was back in 2011. He was in New York. He was at the Sofitel Hotel and he was in the presidential suite. He was leaving that morning. Cleaning maid goes in. Dominic Strauss-Kahn rushes out naked, rapes her orally and takes off. And his goes to the airport and is pulled off the plane by the authorities as the plane is on the runway as he's about to flee to France. James, do you remember this story? It was an amazing, it was a huge. I don't huge remember it at all. No. I do remember it. I do remember it. It's a great story. I mean, it's a appalling story, but it's interesting because it precedes the Me Too movement by several years. This is a four-part series made in France. It's very French. But in that respect, very such a relief because it's so different of the tropes of true crime that we're used to. And each episode is only like 45 minutes long, which is great. But the background story is that actually he had a history of sexual harassment of people. And in 2008, when the financial crisis hit, he, he was accused of, of attacking one of his colleagues. Um, but they swept it all under the rug and let it go because it was 2008 and the world was melting down. Um, and then the real twist, there are many, many twists in this, but the real twist is that Cyrus Vance Jr., who was the New York, the DA in the city of New York, they were going to bring the charges against Dominic Strauss-Kahn. He was arrested. He was in prison. He went on trial. But the day of the trial, the prosecution said, nah, we're not going to push it because they felt that their witness, the maid who had been raped, was unreliable and that she lacked credibility and that she had told some lies. And you know what's so interesting about this is they dropped the case, he walked free, and this was years before Harvey Weinstein's story broke. Here's the thing about the Harvey Weinstein story. Before Harvey Weinstein was exposed in 2017, in 2014, Harvey Weinstein was caught on tape by a woman he had assaulted. And in the tape confession, admits to what he did. Same thing. Went to the DA's office. Cyrus Vance Jr. dropped the charges because they felt she was unreliable. What I'm saying here is there is a history of not believing victims. And I think that is part of why it took so long for the Me Too movement to actually happen. But it's just so fascinating that these two cases that are so similar. Um, and this documentary series is all about Dominic Strauss-Kahn. He uh, had assault, uh, assault issues before and subsequently. He actually, he actually tried to rape uh, the daughter of one of the women with whom he was having an affair. I mean, and, and she brought charges. And years after this whole case was all forgotten about and he was back in France, he was then put on trial for being involved in a pimping ring whereby basically whatever city he would go to, they would have girls ready for him when he got there. And again, he got off. I mean, it's just extraordinary. Um, so it's sort of slightly frustrating watch, but a really interesting uh, series and directed by Jalil Lesper. Oh. All right, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll have the number one thing this week that made us go wow. You're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. All right, welcome back. Uh, I'm Fenton here with James and Tom. We've been counting down the top 10 things that made us go wow this extraordinary week. Uh, we, what it, wait, we've reached number one. Number one. I, I want to end on a light note. And it's sort of in the casting vein. 
but it was announced this week that uh, Aaron Sorkin's movie about Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz and the I Love Lucy uh, time in the 50s, supposedly like it's one's an episode where they're kind of in love and one where they're breaking up. It was originally going to, Kate Blanchett was said to be Lucille Ball. Well, that fell away, now Hollywood is. And now they're saying that Nicole Kidman will play Lucille Ball. It gives me lots of feelings. I don't know how to feel. Part of me is like, well, she's a very talented actress. Then part of me is like, how can she go, wah? Like, her face doesn't move. That's very mean, but it's true. And um, what's the actor who's playing Desi? Uh, Javier Bardem. Thank you. Um, What do you guys think? Well, I think that you're absolutely correct. Lucy was known for her rubbernecking, crazy, wild facial expressions. And Nicole Kidman hasn't made an expression since 1989. So I don't know how they expect to do that. It just, it boggles the mind. Um, She's talented, but she's not known. She hasn't done a comedy really since To Die For. And she was very good in that. She was very good she in that. Very good in that. But, you know, then she destroyed Stepford Wives. She destroyed Bewitched. She doesn't have a really good track record of doing uh, uh, a lot of things. Um, I mean, she's 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 good when it comes to playing icy, frigid bitches. And that's about it. So I don't know where. I mean, and Lucy well, wasn't just a, a, a comedian. She was sort of a, you know, we know she was a very hard-ass businesswoman. So maybe they're they're taking that side of it. So I don't know. She may be doing less of the Lucy Ricardo character and more of Lucille Ball, who, like you said, had, was tough as steel in some ways, um, but still charming. I do love whether it was you know Kate Blanchett or or um, or Nicole Kidman. It's like. They both are kind of the right age because Lucy was in her 40s when they did uh, I Love Lucy. And they did a great job of that show because it was black and white of giving her that kind of not silent movie, but you know what I'm saying? Like lots of Max Factor makeup and that really in contour and things that really defined her look. So I could see her pulling off, you know, with the magic of Hollywood pulling that off. But Javier um, Bardem, you know, Ricky Ricardo was God love him, one of the sexiest men on television. He was Thank so you. good. And Javier Bardem is handsome, but in a very different way. He's he's more earthy and 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 raw. He doesn't have the suave sophistication of Ricky. So I I just I I'm just interested to see how it'll roll out. There'll be a lot of smoking. A lot of smoking. Um Deborah Messing should have gotten it. It's a it's a Shonda that she didn't get it. Right. Or Roseanne Barr. What's it called? What is your Roseanne Barr thing? Benton, were you ever an I Love Lucy fan back in the UK? I was. I actually finally there's a show that I watched when I was a kid in the UK. We had it. Yeah, it was cool. It was fabulous. She's so funny. I think you know Nicole Kidman wants to prove that she's got it, right? I mean, you know, you never know. She could be amazing. Well, as comedies go, To Die For wasn't particularly. Ho ho ho! Was it? It was a little bit. It was a little bit noir. Yeah. yeah. Ha ha ha! <laughs> but um, I just have to say, as an addendum to this, I recently found, as I spend all night on YouTube, I found a nineteen, I think, eighty-five special of Lucille Ball being honored by the Variety, the like the the, the Variety um, charity that like Ernie Archer and those people all did. And it was a salute to Lucille Ball. And at the main table was Sinatra and Barbara Sinatra, 
Burt Reynolds and Lonnie Anderson, uh, her and Gary Morton. And in the audience is everybody who was anybody then. And it was from Sammy Davis Jr. and Dean Martin to um, uh, uh, Joan Collins, who was at the height of Lex, you know, of Carrington. It is a mind blowing special of of the, I can't I must have been in college and not had a TV because it is everything. It's one hour of every celebrity known to man. Alec Trebek is positioned in the place you just see him the entire time. Young Alex Trebek, everyone's there. Um, anyway, that's just a little add on. But really, really, what we'll be tracking is the uh, Nicole Kidman Lucille Ball portrayal. Uh, more, more, more uh, as 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 things develop. Back to you, Phil. Well, absolutely. That's all we have time for. But I think we have highlighted the most important things of this week. Uh, you know, impeachment, prah, what is that? You know, attack on the Capitol, wah. No, these are the most important things. <laughs> exactly. And, yeah. um, thanks for tuning in. Um, you can check out previous episodes on our YouTube channel, Wow Presents. And we'll see you same time, same place next week. Until then, please, please be safe. Stay home. Wear a mask. And do something that makes the world go wow. Wow.